We acknowledge that we work on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that this land is stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to Elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to this week's episode of This Crown is on Fire. This is a podcast where we discuss all the challenges that we as human beings face keeping our crowns on our heads. We chat about everything from feminism to disability, modern day parenthood to time management and everything in between. My name is Melissa and I'm your host for this podcast. I release this podcast every Monday and our sister podcast, Wear Your Crown, on Friday. Our Wear Your Crown podcast is a short, less than 15-minute burst of positive productivity that starts with a good news story to kick off your weekend and then a little short tip to keep your world positive and productive. I spend most of my week teaching, mentoring, facilitating and speaking I'm passionate about issues that relate to women, disability, motivation and mindset. I have spoken at conferences all around Australia. You can find me on Clubhouse and on Instagram. But right now, I'm excited to be in your ears. So let's get on with the show. Regular listeners to this podcast will know that we start every episode of This Crown is on Fire with the question, what has been on fire this week? Now, for me, I haven't had any raging fires, but it has been a challenging one nonetheless. This week has been school holidays, so I have been at home. I haven't been at work. My gorgeous girls were with their dad for the week, and they're never usually gone that long. And also my partner spent most of the week at work as well. So for an extrovert, that was pretty tricky. Uh, it was a bit lonely at times. Thank goodness for Clubhouse is all I can say. I spent a lot of the day uh, listening to rooms and chatting with other people about all sorts of things from coffee to teaching and education around the world, uh, positive mindset, time management. That kept me entertained at the very least, um, but it's not quite the same. I obviously am still not driving very much because of my broken collarbone, so I was pretty much stuck indoors. Based on the fact that I was resting, I also tried to step down my pain medication, uh, which has had mixed results. Um, I think that I need to probably go up another level, probably not to where I was, um, but I'm admitting that uh, the pain has gotten the better of me this weekend. Uh, And I had spent a lot of it, particularly yesterday, in bed because I just wasn't coping very well. And sleep tends to be that mechanism that helps me get through it a little bit more. Speaking of mechanisms and tips and tricks, I was really excited to host a room in Clubhouse tonight um, based on positivity and pain management. Um, I had a beautiful group of women join me for that discussion, which was lovely. And we're going to make that room a relatively regular thing. So If you have a Clubhouse subscription and you are in that particular app, we are going to have that room every Sunday night at 7pm and we're going to have it 
based around positive thinking and pain management, but with a bit of a sub-theme as well. So next week we're going to talk about communicating with our loved ones and about having our needs met and seen too in a way that doesn't make us feel like a burden uh, and only has positive outcomes for us as pain sufferers. So, yeah, I'd love for you to join me if you're around. In amongst all of that uh, challenge this week, there were some real highlights and fires that I did manage to put out. So I managed to get to the movies this week, which was lovely. Uh, my partner and I have been to the movies once since the cinema started to open up again, um, and it's still um, a really magical place for me. I really enjoy a film. Um, and I actually went with my parents, which was a nice treat. I can't remember the last time I went to see a movie with them. Uh, so we went to see the movie Nomadland, uh, which is directed by Chloe Zhou and has been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, and it is a beautifully done film. It is slow and thoughtful and really does depict that community of nomads really well with a lot of dignity. So, yeah, I would highly recommend uh, if you are looking for something uh, that is thought-provoking, um, not too challenging in terms of uh, lots of tears or big drama or any of those sorts of things. It was just a nice, it was just a nice film that really depicted a year in the life of someone uh, that I would not normally have any access to. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the proposed changes from the Morrison government to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Uh, this one is a difficult topic to handle uh, with the amount of grace that is required. Uh, the changes make me really angry and again just highlight how out of touch this government seems to be and unfortunately I think this story is really being swept away by the vaccine debacle that is happening at the moment uh, and also by the fact that you know Australia is a big country with a reasonably large popula population but there's only 460,000 Australians on the NDIS scheme at the moment. So I think that without a larger impact on the community, there isn't going to be so much of an uproar. But hopefully what I go through today with you might challenge or uh, infuriate you enough to perhaps make contact with your local MP, just voice your opinion about what these changes might mean for this particular program and for the standard of living for some of our most vulnerable Australians. So, without further ado, I bring you Standardising Our Disability Scheme. What kind of achy? Head achy, stomach achy, back achy, what achy? Recently, Leaked documents from the Australian Federal Government revealed major changes to the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or the NDIS. And much to the uproar of disability and support communities, it seems as though these changes are likely to get through. The leaked papers outlined plans to reduce the conditions that meet the criteria and also introduce standardised assessment interviews for applicants and participants, as well as removing some controversial language from this legislation. Whilst these changes on their own are at best concerning and worst disturbing, the motivation for the federal government engaging and beginning this process of review is equally unsettling. Last year, a 
40 year old woman took the National Disability Insurance Agency to court over its refusal to fund sexual therapies. The woman, who has remained anonymous, lives with multiple sclerosis and other co-conditions and sought to include the services in her plan. However, the NDIA stated that it does not fund participants in sexual activity. The Federal Court found against the refusal on the evidence that the NDIS Act does not expressly exclude such activities from being funded supports, and in fact ruled that the use of a trained sex therapist was a reasonable and necessary support that could be funded by the NDIS. Then Minister Stuart Roberts, who himself has a problematic history within the welfare government space, including the failure of the mygov.com.au website after the job seeker slash keeper scheme was announced during the first wave of national COVID lockdowns. Mr Roberts misrepresented that failure as a cyber attack, only having to walk those comments back later. Minister Roberts seemed to have a personal offence with the decision of the court suggesting that the community would not think that sexual therapies were something that were of a good enough taste for the NDIS scheme to cover. A spokesperson for Mr Robert made comment to the Sydney Morning Herald. While the government respects the court's decision, they said, the government does not believe that the use of NDIS funds to pay for the services of a sex worker is in line with community expectations. The spokesman said that it would build on its existing priority to resolve issues and areas of confusion in the interpretation and definition of reasonable and necessary. Further to this, Minister Roberts announced last year that the government would appoint independent assessors to review everyone on the scheme to ensure the funding was fairly distributed and not just given to those, quote, who can pay the most for a report. There are some obvious issues with Mr Roberts' statement, particularly around the fact that Australia is supposed to have a universal healthcare system, and this system should provide people with a physical or intellectual ability to have treatments and therapies and by extensions assessment at no direct cost. So if Mr Roberts admits that the cost of seeing private therapists for those of us with a disability is excessive, then surely we need to include those in our Medicare system. The solution posed by the Minister according to these documents is that the assessments would be conducted by a panel of private providers, such as psychologists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists and speech pathologists, but not those linked with the person's usual care. The assessments would use a standardised criteria acting much like the often criticised nationalised standardised testing in our education system. The Australian version of this standardised testing is of course NAPLAN, which creates false comparisons between students and more alarmingly between schools. Disability organisations have voiced similar concern about the proposed assessment interviews, that comparing one person with autism and their challenge it's not possible to compare that story with someone else with autism and their challenges because these types of disabilities present differently in different people. 
A submission from domestic violence, Victoria warns that being assessed by a stranger and having to retell their story can be re-traumatising to many people with a disability. The assessment process apparently takes a maximum of three hours. In that time, the assessor would need to get to know an individual, understand how their disability impacts them, sometimes how their multiple disabilities impact each other, and gauge the type of supports that they have around them and how to best utilise them. This isn't long enough to get to know the complex details of an individual's life. And people with disabilities that fluctuate, such as multiple sclerosis or a mental illness, may happen to be assessed on one of their better or worse days skewing the picture. The assessments also seem to be being contracted out to NDIS providers, which would create a conflict of interest. If your assessor came out from an organisation that specialised in physiotherapy, for instance, you might find that those particular assessors are likely to pick up on physical exercise needs, more likely to prescribe those types of supports. Not necessarily because it means that their employer will receive more business, although certainly that's a concern, but also simply because that's what those assessors have been trained in, physiotherapy. We don't necessarily need to assume the worst of people to understand where this particular scheme might fall down. The website, Every Australian Counts, highlighted the experience of Aaron, an adult individual who's working with the NDIS to get supports around his condition of autism. He volunteered to be part of a pilot test program, describing the independent assessment process as a nightmare. The assessor came to his home with a very structured and inflexible set of questions. Questions that involved basic tasks, like stacking a dishwasher or making tea. Another participant described one of the questions as, could they catch a bus? But highlighted that, well, some people with an intellectual disability could catch one bus, but if they needed to catch any other type of bus, that that process would be really challenging. So it's a relatively loaded question. Aaron asked the assessor at the beginning of the process if he was going to be able to access a copy of the report. Initially, he was told that he wouldn't be able to do so, which then backflipped and said that he would be able to do that, but he would need to apply. And then the process of applying for that report was relatively difficult. When Aaron was eventually able to access the assessment, he was dismayed to find that many of the questions actually had comment sections that were blank, despite both Aaron and his partner trying to engage the, the assessor in extended commentary about Aaron's challenges. Apparently, much of their extensions were not applicable at the time. But Aaron reported that the most disturbing omission from that report was the question about self-harm. Apparently, according to the assessor, Actions and thoughts of self-harm were not considered to be a common or expected side effect of autism, and so he declined to ask that question. Aaron reports that unfortunately, thoughts of suicide absolutely are a common side effect of autism, and there is lots of data to back Aaron's story up. Other participants in the pilot program provided similar concerns, that there were not enough time spent on the assessment, 
that the criteria and the questions were not flexible or detailed or that they focused on a deficit and what individuals could not do, rather than focusing on what supports could increase their everyday functionality and that this was traumatic. Of further concern is of course this can-can't-do criteria that might catch some disabilities that aren't so static in moments where individuals are able to function quite well and therefore the assessment wouldn't provide them with the supports that they need during the harder portions of their disabilities. The benefit of your NDIS plan being assessed by your own therapists means that they have a background with you, a history with you, and they see you on a variety of different days in a variety of different conditions. Many members of the disability community report the emotional roller coaster that is trying to mask their deficits from the general public in order to prevent or minimise discrimination or even just unsolicited comments or advice from friends, family members or strangers. We've socialised our people with disability to, to live in a world that punishes those people who sit outside the realms of normal. We categorise people with disabilities. We talk down to them, we're condescending, we don't assist them. And so, many people with disabilities are used to having to downplay their challenges, to hiding and making themselves seem more normal. Putting them in front of a stranger who has not consulted their regular support team is not a recipe for fair assessments. It's a recipe for reduced supports, less funding and lower quality of life for Australians living with disabilities. Similarly, many Australians who have developed a chronic illness or a disability report feeling as they come to terms with their new lives as not being disabled enough to be accepted by the disability community, but too disabled to fit into functional everyday society without supports. What will an NDIS assessment that decides that they truly aren't disabled enough because they can complete basic tasks like catching a bus and making tea. What emotional trigger will that rejection come for these people? How much harm are we anticipating this new system will do? This government and this particular minister has a background in causing much more harm than good. We don't need to look much further than the robo-debt disaster. Stories continue to come out about how Minister Roberts and the entire team behind RoboDebt continued with that program even when they knew that it was unlawful. That the volume of suicides, that the harassment and the fear and the shame and the guilt that those people who were targeted by that system didn't matter to those particular ministers. It's not a long bow to draw to suggest that this is a concerning change under that same minister's hand. From the leaked documents, it's not completely clear whether or not people with a disability were involved in the drafting, however it's widely suspected that they were not. Whilst Minister Roberts originally stated that the new process was to promote equality, it is difficult to understand how this new individual assessment does this beyond the equality 
of the same standardised testing process. The government needs to go back to its own understanding of merit-based practices. This government often espouts the fact that you know, men and women should be treated based on merit and they should be assessed based on their skills individually, that quotas uh, and numbers and statistics and set boundaries don't promote those things. And yet here, we're finding that they don't want to look at the merit of someone's disability, the merit of support that they will need. Instead, they want to use quotas and structured interviews and standardised testing facilities in order to determine how much funding and how much support a person gets in order to be able to live their life in as little pain and as much dignity as possible. I guess it is pleasing to be able to report that Stuart Robert, for all of his shortcomings, is no longer the Minister in Charge of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Before being moved out of this particular ministry, Stuart Robert argued that the assessments were recommended in a review of the NDIS Act conducted by former Finance Department Chief David Tune in 2018. But this week, serious questions were raised about that report. Documents released under the Freedom of Information Act, obtained first by Labor and then reported in nine newspapers this week, appear to show sections of the report recommending the introductions of assessment was actually inserted by public servants. Looking back at the original construction of the entire NDIS program back in 2011 under the then Prime Minister Gillard, it is true that independent assessments are listed as a suggested part of the application planning process. However, those documents do not suggest that standardised assessments as a singular procedure for NDIS qualification. They were always listed in conjunctions with reports and engagements with a person's regular therapist and support team. According to its own website, the aim of the NDIS is to give participants choice and control over their lives. However, in a bid to limit the choice and control of one participant choosing sex-based therapies within their support structure, the coalition government has seemingly implemented a system that will reduce the choice and control for over 460,000 Australians currently accessing the NDIS. It's difficult not to be cynical about their motivations for this. Is it a conservative abstinence program? Is it the desperate need to claw back some of the money spent during the COVID times? During Scott Morrison's cabinet reshuffle a fortnight ago, the NDIS ministry was handed over to Linda Reynolds. Now, Miss Reynolds might sound familiar to you, Linda Reynolds has recently taken an absence of medical leave, claiming that she was unwell after the scandal around Brittany Higgins' rape allegation in Parliament House. Linda Reynolds had to make a public apology to Brittany Higgins after calling her a lying cow. Personally, I might not necessarily be a very big fan of Minister Reynolds, however, I have my own set of feelings about yet another poison chalice being handed to a woman 
a glass cliff with which she must throw herself off. These changes to the NDIS won't be popular. They're unlikely to be effective. And even if they do save the government money, that's a difficult prospect to sell. And so I'm unsurprised that the portfolio has been provided to not only a woman, but a woman already in trouble career-wise. For the sake of vulnerable Australians around the country, I hope that Minister Reynolds heeds the advice of disability support workers across the country and reviews these decisions and implements a better system in order to make assessments fairer and, and make funding more appropriate to individual needs. This week alone, the government has flipped-flopped back and forth over different vaccines available in Australia. They have made our vulnerable community, our over 50s, feel as though they are expendable, that they don't matter. This system, this proposal that the government is now putting forward does the same thing to our vulnerable Australians. Our Australians living their lives with disability. What the government really needs to start doing is justifying the standardisation of our disability scheme. And what it needs to do is actually present the way in which it's going to actually start investing in the standard of care Australians deserve. David must have taken it, along with my last molecule of hope. If you've enjoyed this episode of This Crown is on Fire, I would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review on your favourite podcast app. Five stars if you're on Apple. It definitely helps us get the word out there. Similarly, you know, this topic is obviously one that is very close to my heart and I would really love it if you could share it on a social media platform, whether that be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Let's get the word out about these particular changes and see if we can stop this government in its tracks. We need to make sure that we're protecting those people who can't advocate for themselves. A lesson I have been learning strongly of late. Disability is going to be a focus of this podcast over the next couple of weeks, so buckle in and get ready for the ride. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing our regular book club episode with uh, our friend Joe, and we are, of course, uh, looking at the book Growing Up Disabled, which has been edited by the phenomenal Carly Finlay. I'm not quite all the way through it yet, but I've been really enjoying it so far, and I'm looking forward to spending some time on the couch tomorrow and later this week and getting through it. I'm going to be attending a podcast recording with Carly Finlay for the Pill Pop podcast, which is going to be talking about that particular book. So I'm looking forward to recording this podcast after going to see that podcast. That is a bit of a tongue twister. Meanwhile, I hope that you have a wonderful, productive, exciting week, that there are not too many spot fires for you to put out. And I am really looking forward to hearing you next week. <laughs>